You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast from the 17th of September to the 21st of September. Highlights this week include uh, I went to a petting zoo with some friend, got to hold a snake. It was great <laughs> stuff. And also we got to chat to Stuart Dolman about his show that is happening at the Melbourne Fringe Festival, Death of a Dolman. And also um, we did a bit of improvising and um, did some uh, live writing tips. Yes, it was quite something. Writing prompts, but we did it live on air. It was a bit of fun. Mm. Uh, we also talked about um, the good things that happened to us this week for, as part of High Tide Thursday in the magic hour that many people don't get to hear, probably for good reason. We talked to Birdman for Feature Creatures this week. He told us all about magpies and swooping season. And Mike McRae, the author of Unwell, What Makes a Disease a Disease, he joined us for a bit of a chat. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're listening to Breakfasters here on Triple R. Uh, I had a very heavy Australian native animal weekend. That's not what I thought you were going to say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you... Oh, oh, doesn't matter. Just something else. Something anyway, else. Uh, so, because I don't know if you remember on Friday I told you that my friend was having a petting zoo. Oh, yeah. Oh, to yes. her house. Yeah. This is Kate McCartney. So um, Kate McLennan for Kate McCartney's birthday organised a petting zoo. Oh. The best idea for a gift. I thought it was brilliant. It is right? a brilliant idea. Uh, so it was just normally, and I think the woman running it was quite accustomed to dealing with children. Oh, so we yes. wasn't expecting an adult party. Oh, yeah, obviously, I think she knew there was an adult party, but at the same time had not experienced <laughs> doing many of these with adults. Oh, so good. And so it was, was it just Kate or did you get a whole lot of people there to come and she, pet them? I was there. Um, she had a sister and a brother and also Kate and her partner were there. So it was, and, oh, it was a and small Kath, party. Yeah, and just Kath. It was just, you know, you just want to, you want to keep it small so you can have maximum time with... With All the, animals. the animals. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so we slept in. I was, it was so funny. In the morning I was like, I couldn't get angry at Kath, but at the same time I was like, we woke up and it was like 10 past 10. And I'm like, I thought you set an alarm. And she goes, no, why would you think that? I'm like, because you had your phone out the night before and you're asking what time is the party tomorrow? And to me that suggests you were thinking, what time do I have to set the alarm? Anyway, oh, didn't happen. We're right, what we're, time is the party starting? Ten thirty. Oh Jesus! I know, <laughs> but also it was it wasn't there was no tension. It was totally fine. It was just like Perhaps oh, she just wasn't being ex- as excited about the petting. Exactly, that's exactly <laughs> what was happening. And I tried to be chill about it. I was just like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> and then uh, we get I get this text from Kate saying you're missing out on the snake. And I'm like, we've we've got to go. Come on, come on, get it together. Uh, so right, though, is not what I have in mind. For a Neither. Zoo. I was thinking sheeps and baby like, goats and oh, <laughs> chickens. Australian native animals. So get there. What? And uh, um, uh, there, there was a little possum. It oh. had a ringtail possum. That was really fun. A little baby one. That was cool. Um, we got to pat a, a, a long neck turtle and watch it <gasps> roll over. How big was it? Just like, I don't know, 30 centimetres or so. Do they yeah. mind possums and turtles being patted? Um, well, I didn't pat the possum, but oh. we fed it a ham sandwich. I don't know if – and here's the other thing. I don't know how um, experienced 
the woman running the show was. Oh. It was it was a slight comedy of errors. At, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it, you know, she was kind of excited and nervous and stuff, I think. I think, you know, this is the whole working with adults. I don't think she was used to it. And then, like, even when she was leaving, you know, she'd stacked up her boxes and we're like, do you need a hand at all? She's no, nah, I'll be right. And then she's just knocking things over all the way down oh, the God. hall. Like, and we're like, oh. oh do you think <laughs> like you Russell were like... Russell Coit's Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> do you think maybe you were the first, one of the first parties she'd done? Maybe she's just starting up. No. <laughs> no, just I just collected some animals on the way. <laughs> well, yeah. When you turn up with a snake? Oh, a little possum. <laughs> So give this snake a bit of a <laughs> But she was just very easily distracted. So at one stage she'd put the turtle back away in its box and then she's like showing us something else, like a, a green tree frog. And at the same time she's like the turtle's in the background climbing up out of its box and we're like, do you need to, to grab that at all? Do you know? She goes, oh, no, it'll be right. And then she's like, oh, actually, yeah, oh, better put you back in there. And uh, and then anyway, she got the snake oh. out for me. Um, what kind it, of snake was it? It was a Murray python. Oh. Called Murray. Called Murray? Yeah. Mother. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, and it, so, I, you know, I got to hold the snake. And I've, you know, held snakes before, but this one was very... Yeah. Really? That's yeah. upsetting. Yeah. Was I it guess... just wriggly or was it also wriggly and bitey? Well, trying to kill you. Was just, it trying to wrap around you? Just wriggly at this stage, right? So just normally, you know, you kind of hold your arms out. You stand there. You've got to stand there like a tree and then it just kind of just goes, yep, so there you are. Well, you remember when we had a snake come in here that oh, we held? Boy, yeah. mm. Was that the ones that wrap you Like do they try and wrap you up? The python. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're too okay. big for Like it's not that... Okay. You're too... It's not a bowler constrictor. That's yeah, no. Yeah. indelibly scarred on my memory trying to do an interview with that guy with that bloody with snake, that snake hissing yeah, yeah. about everywhere. Well, that's just the thing. But this snake, it's, you know, and a python, it... um, And she was telling us how... Um, she goes, oh, when I first started working with this one, it didn't really like me. And I was oh. just like, how can you, how did you tell? And she goes, oh, it kept on hissing at me. And then so by the end it was like, oh, yeah, now nah, I've got to put him back in the box. It's hissing at me now. And then it's just her trying to shove this snake back in a box. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she is going to get bitten. She's going to get bitten. Why was it hissing? So hissing means it's not happy, right? Well, according to her, yeah. But it, it sounds like... Yeah. <laughs> yes. It seems a bit weird. It does. Yes, it does. Bring... I was there. It was also, what I'm it, trying it, to tell it's you. It's as weird as it, it sounds. Why do you bring a, a snake that hisses at people to a petting park? Also, well, no, it only hisses at her I because like I think she's a bit rough with it. Get to the point where that snake is hissing. Like I just, it's like that shouldn't be the point where you go, okay, let's pack it away now. Oh, mate. This is not where I expected this to go. I thought when you said petty putty it'd be like a baby lamb and totally. like a little calf. and Chickens. Yeah. Yeah. Got to, got to pet a snake. But when what I was, a hissing oh, snake. Well, it didn't hiss at me. It was hiss later. I was, I was wonderful <laughs> with it, right? And then so I'm standing there and holding in it, holding the snake, and it kind of just kept on wriggling around everywhere. And I was just, and then You're someone very said, "Calm." Well, his thing, I w- was not calm because the oh. whole time, you know, I, I give the illusion that I'm calm. Right. Um, and then so, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I look like I'm calm, but inside, in my mind, all I'm thinking is this snake is going to bite me in the face. Oh. <laughs> it's going to bite me in the face, but. Not too bad because what a great story, you know. Yeah. Well, there is that. On the one hand, face bite. On the <laughs> yeah, other hand, talk bite. break. But also because it's a <laughs> python, you know, so they're not poisonous but they but they do bite. But when you do get bitten by a python, you can't 
like no. your instinct is to draw your hand. You're not away. meant to do that. Not meant to do that because it, you know, they the, drag. Yeah, because they're hooked. So oh. you've just got to just stay still, and it'll eventually work out that you're Could not you, a meal. Don't, oh. don't think this. Yeah. Oh, no. It you with a lot like, of confidence, doesn't it? Just calmly keep your arm there while Python pi- pi- yeah. is hanging well, it's off like it. you yeah. bring your little children to the petting zoo yeah. and they've got to calculate how to get the python off their arm well, once it bites them. Yeah, but it, it, it won't get to that stage because it'll hiss first and then you get it back in the box, right? But I'm ho- holding it and it's going up around my head and stuff. And then someone, I heard someone say, Oh, they asked. I said, "Oh, I can smell your fear, can't it? You know, knows when you get um, out." Yeah, and she goes, "Yeah, yeah, it can pick up on the nervous vibes and stuff." And then I just went into, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, I'm maybe that's why it's oh. wriggling around so oh. much." Got to get into the zone. Yeah, I got to get into the zone. So I closed my eyes, and then it just went up over my head on oh, my. F- I just got the worst shiver down my spine. On my face. Cheers. Yeah, it's and just then I just deciding where to bite. Yeah. <laughs> I remained very zen. And then it was like, I'm like, okay, I've had enough now. And then I was like, okay, I think I might have lost this arm because the tail had, you know, it wrapped its tail around my arm and that's like its anchor point. Like if you, that's where it starts, like the at the tail. So like, the death begins. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where it kind of locks on. So if you are, you know, if, you, if a pot, it, you've got to unwrap it from the tail oh. anyway. So it was like wrapped around. But she was so blasé about it. And like just went, oh, yeah, it'll wrap itself around there and kind of squeeze for a bit. And I'm like, yeah, I know, can you get it? <laughs> I was just trying to be really calm oh. and stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, please unwrap the snake. <laughs> get it off. I can imagine too, because you didn't have much faith in her, it'd be scarier. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was exactly that. When she was telling me about this snake used to always hiss at her and I'm like, please. <laughs> Please, I just want to, you know, move. Anyway, I survived. She want to be confident she's identified it correctly as a python. I know. She's got some type. (laughs) (laughs) Cobra. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You're listening to Breakfasters with Sarah, Jeff and Geraldine. It's time for a bit of fun. Oh, a bit of fun. Let's Hasn't see. this show been fun enough? Yeah, yeah. Let's see how this goes. So I've got right. this little – I've had this for um, a few years now, but it's a, a little book called 642 Tiny Things to Write About. So it's just like a um, writing writing prompt. Oh. Do some creative writing Love and stuff. Um, uh, so let's – you want, let's, I'm gonna, just going to skip open to a page and then we'll see if anything comes of this. <laughs> sure. We're doing – Live improv oh, on radio on a day when we've been really good at oh, I've been really good at doing my job. Yes, yeah. Uh, but I think that it, it could work to your advantage. advantage. Yes, because yeah. my brain is misfiring. Yeah, you just got to be open. misfiring creatively. Yeah, <laughs> triggers with improv. You've just got to be open, and uh, nothing is wrong. Oh, great! Is it going to be like a safe space with no judgment? Yes, absolutely. Can we respond with movement? No, this is okay. radio. Oh, you can, can you can combine it. Should no, actually, yes, you can respond with movement. Absolutely, okay. but then you have to explain what the movement is. Oh. So, um, Jeff, we'll start with oh, you. Of course, we will. You have to interview the CEO of um, Apple on stage oh. in front of eight hundred people. After the nice niceties niceties, <laughs> what is your first? Real question. Ooh. Uh, when are you going to start paying your staff in the free trade zones properly? Oh, yeah. Tell oh. us Daniel, pipe and smoke it. 
classic. It's classic Sparrow. Easy. I won't get that gig again. <laughs> classic communist. I love it. <laughs> That's very good. All right. Uh, okay, then. Let's. This is unfortunate. I wish I'd gone first now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so just, you can just get your movements ready. Yeah, I am. Swaying. Okay. Let me, I have to kind of read it first and see if it's um, okay. Right. Mm, no, that's too much. Oh, thanks for not putting me on the spot with that yeah. one then. Uh, what was your second question, Jeff? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do your we'll second question. just sit question. there in angry silence for the rest of the show. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Give us your um, – uh, you've got to give a pep talk from a coach who is dead certain his team is going to lose the big game. Oh, that's a bit close to the bone. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You asshole. Um, so I'm a, I'm a coach, am I? You're a coach. Your team is absolutely going to lose, but you've got to give them a pep talk. All right. <clears throat> give them your, your clear eyes, full hearts talk. All right. You're a pack of losers. No, it you've got clear. to them No, I'm, I'm putting them down and then oh, building okay. them up. Oh, sorry. You're oh, a pack okay. of losers. You're no good. You're failures. You may as well go home. It's what the other side oh. wants to say to you. <laughs> See what you did there. But pull up your bootstraps and remember that the sun is going to shine tomorrow, <laughs> that you are beautiful humans on the inside and whatever you do out there, I will be proud. Oh, <sighs> Thanks, all right? boss. Yeah, yeah that's, good. that's inspired me for the rest Thanks. of the day. Yeah. Go Tykes. I like the... Um, <laughs> You know, you're beautiful. What did you say? That we're all beautiful? Oh, I can't remember. My just, brain's not working very well. You're this, beautiful inside. I had this image of all the players sitting around when you started off with telling them they're losers, their faces <laughs> dripping <laughs> down, little tears started. Okay. <laughs> you turned it around. Jeff, here's another oh. one for you. <clears throat> you make contact with Earth's first alien visitors. Oh, God, help them. <laughs> <laughs> and they ask you the best place to land. What do you tell them? Oh, you can land at my place. You just come place, into my apartment. Is your place big enough? I feel like how big are they? Maybe they're tiny. What do you reckon mm. their first impressions of Earth are? <laughs> have you been into Jeff's apartment before? No, I haven't. Oh my actually. god, haven't you? Yeah. Oh. Haven't. It's an experience. It's <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful so apartment. Lots of, lots of books lots and gin. <laughs> yeah, gin. come and have some gin, read some books. Welcome okay. to Earth. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Take oh. me to your planet. <laughs> Sooner than that. Well, you should have to do one. Okay. All right. Are you going to pass right. me the book? Yep. Oh, sorry, that really mucked things up, didn't it? No, that's all right. right. Oh, this is fun. This is like doing the Bible game when you were kids. Yeah. <laughs> Did you used to do that? Yeah, yeah. You used to open the Bible and you'd point out something in the Bible and then it applied to you, whatever that was. Yeah. And there was also the one oh. where um, you, you got the book and it solved all your problems. It was just full of quotes. So you'd have a problem, you'd think about oh, it yeah. while you're holding the book and then you'd open it up to a page and there was the solution to your problem. Oh, how did that work out? Every time. Because, you, you know, you just made it work for you. Oh, mate. Okay, this is, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I should do this one. All right, I'm going to do another one because it yeah. didn't make much sense. Okay. Yeah, some of them are a bit um, yeah. in-depth in and it, some are, are, are a bit oh, tricky. Here's a good one. This is so good for you, Jess. Okay. Your dog, mm-hmm. specifically Lloyd, okay. senses something is not right in the family but you don't know what, what it is and the dog can't talk. Oh, what do you do? Okay. Well, I've got a. F- you can f- try and talk dog to him if you want. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do that every day. All right. So, do I have to? I've got to figure out what the problem is. Yeah. You got to talk to oh, Lloyd. Oh, he's anxious. He, what's it? Oh, Lloyd, you're more anxious than normal. What's happening? 
Come in here with me. Sit on sit on the bed there. Is it something in here? No. Nah. Do you All think right. maybe you should try and speak the way that Lloyd might speak? That's how he's. <laughs> you just wanted to do the yeah, talk. No. <laughs> but but Lloyd just speaks like it, it's just slightly you know different to my voice. So it's just you know, Mum, I think there's something wrong. You know. It's not really. Uh, there's not a real big character voice. Perhaps we could bring in voice. Ralph to ask Lloyd a question. Oh yeah. Okay, you be Ralph and I'll be Lloyd. Oh, do we really want to do this? Yes. Yeah, no, Jess, you're sitting <laughs> on the. You know, I don't want to do the. Vo- okay. What's wrong, Ralph? What's wrong, Lloyd? What's wrong, Lloyd? Oh. <laughs> Hello, Ralph. Why does Lloyd speak like Ralph? Well, it's up to you, isn't it? Hello, Ralph. It's uh, you're a shithead. Oh boy, it's so great to see you. Hey, listen, I've got a bit of a problem, and I'm trying to communicate with my mum. Listen, are you able to get through? She's not listening to me. Ralph's not speaking anymore. Oh, all right. I think Ralph Ralph should speak a little bit more. (laughs) Retriever. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Got tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R, the show that creeps up on you when you're not expecting it. <laughs> I try to do things with my hands, but anyway. Death of Dorman are. is a show that's on the Fringe Festival. It's running until the 23rd of September at the Courthouse Hotel in North Melbourne. We're joined now by the man behind it, comedian Stuart Dorman. Welcome back to Breakfasters. G'day, guys. Hello. Hello. You're Hello. looking very well for someone who's dead. Ooh, oh, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Just an enigma. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, the show's basically you staging your own funeral and playing all of the characters. Can you tell us about some of the characters who feature in this? Yeah, so um, basically it's a very personal show, as you can kind of imagine. Um, got a friend called Jake Ludwig who does an amazing job as playing the pastor, and he's like the MC. It's like there's a, there's a lot of similarities between a comedy show and a funeral, which is the weirdest <laughs> thing. So, like, you got your host, and then there's different acts that come on. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, it's very true, yeah. Yeah, so. Look, like, because I went and saw the show, and it is kind of a... Yeah, it's a sweet combo of, you know, comedy and but also being a Catholic and going to many, you know, not I've been to a few funerals, but also just that traditional kind of now this happens and then yeah. this happens and the everybody format. sing this hymn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was fascinating. Loved it. Yeah, so there's like there's a, there's a little choir boy comes on and sings some hymns. <laughs> Love Some it. classic hymns, uh, um, real classics. Um, <laughs> then you got Steve Butland, who's like, he, you know, he's from Liverpool and all that, but, you know, played football with Sue when he's a bit younger and all that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's all right, but, like, you know, he's not Stevie Gerrard's and all that. But... That is a very good accent. Thanks. That's all right. <laughs> I played with that guy a lot when I was younger. Uh, and then um, there's, uh, like, a, there's a stand-up comedian who comes on, um, you know, he's, you know, telling him how it is kind of deal. Like, you know, guys, you guys, yeah, you, you, you know, couples all the same, aren't they? All meet online. <laughs> Thanks for coming out, guys. Good on you. Um, and then I actually played my brother. Uh, who's um, your real life? My brother? real life brother. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that's oh. yeah, it's cool. And then how does he um, feel about that? Well, he hasn't actually seen the show yet, <laughs> but uh, he's he's seen a couple of reviews, and he called my mum, and he goes, you know, is it okay? And mum's like, yeah, it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice show. Okay, there's <laughs> nothing bad. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, 
Uh, my fish. Where's your mum from? My mum's so, from Zimbabwe. I was going to say yeah. that's got to be South Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm actually, I was born there. So ah. I moved here in 97. And then the last speaker is my grandma, and she's from South Africa. And she's from, well, she's from Zimbabwe as well. So, very much like this. No oh. shame, man. Come on. Shit. Shit. Shush, man. Come on, oh guys. God. Is it? Ah. No, man. <laughs> She turned 85, actually. It's pretty cool. Did she see the show? No. That, she hasn't right. seen it. Uh, I've got friends, oh, well, I've got family in South Africa, like, begging me to kind of send them a video, but I just, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you uh, crowdsource the material about yourself for the funeral? No, I, uh, no, it's just, I, I, it's, it's interesting know. to write, you know, stand back and write about yourself as though you're deceased. It's quite, you know, dark yeah. and, you know, like, but, um, I don't know when you kind of deal. You can, you know, sometimes you deal with deal with grief, and you can either you can either use it or you can just, you know, wallow it. And I chose to use it, and yeah, it's, good. it's been a lot of work, a lot of fun actually. Cool. So you didn't go up to people and say, "What would you say no, about no, me at my no, funeral?" No, 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 right. no, no, no. no I'm, I'm living the dream. <laughs> yeah. I'm running my own funeral. Um, plus, Bob Franklin helped. He directed the show. He directed the show. Oh, nice. Because um, as part of the Mooseheads Initiative, like we, we got the Moosehead Award um, and um, for the comedy festival, and uh, so they really helped out. And like Bob Franklin really really helped shape the show, and he reminded reminded me why I got back into comedy, which is so... Because often, you, when you you know, when you get do comedy for a while, you forget. Mm. You're like, oh, man, does this bit work? Does this work? It's like, you, why, you, you forget why you get into comedy. And he, he just said, we're just doing this read-through once, and he just goes, you really like annoying people, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, we should celebrate that. <laughs> so that's what the show is. So uh, I, I read in, I think it maybe was in the press material, that you wrote the show when you're dealing with some serious... Yeah, my, um, my my dad about a couple of years ago was uh, diagnosed with dementia. So, um, you know, when you when you go through that, my brother lives in Brisbane, so I'm kind of like the only one at home and dealing with that kind of stuff. And it was it's been one of the hardest things I've ever t- had to face in my life. But um, but you know, you can either I don't know you you can make a choice as to it just got to like came to a head and you're like oh well, I can go two ways with this. You know what I mean? I can just keep going down the road I'm going on and just like you know. Just go for long walks, yeah. <laughs> you know, hands in pockets, mm. just hit the road. Um, or you can, you know, just write. And I did that. I just wrote. And, uh, yeah, it's been, yeah, real fun, actually. Been so good. all the, the the characters based on real people from your life? or Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I played football, like soccer, in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne with Steve Butlin from Liverpool, for sure. You wow. know, like, I remember he's like, hey, Stu, I've got this, I've got this nephew, Wayne Rooney, you watch him. <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right, whatever, Steve, whatever, mate. He goes, no, he's, gonna, he's just scored four goals for the under-14s, Liverpool, you watch him, right? <laughs> two years later, he's like, yeah, told you, scored two, he got an amazing goal against Arsenal. And then, yeah, so, uh, yeah, pl- like, that's, yeah, so, you know, and also the stand-up comedian see every week. People have come up to me after the show and going, oh, man, I've done gigs with that guy four times last week. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. In some of the reviews I was reading of it, talk about how even though it's very funny, it does have moments of genuine emotion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, it's such an interesting line to toe when when you're dealing with, like, truth, tragedy and also, you know, because the line's really fine. You know what mm, I mean? Yeah. Like it can go either way, and to play with that has has been really, really rewarding, really fun. Um, you know, even just like some of the bits, like people said during my brother and stuff, which is quite my brother's quite. You know, this has to happen now. He's, he's military. He's like, yeah, this has to happen, 
Absolutely. Yes, we plan for it. We appropriately plan for it. Is he really in the military? Yes. And you're a comedian? Yes. How did that happen? (laughs) Christmas dinners are incredible. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, a lot of fun. But uh, we couldn't be more different, really, in that side of of things. But um, still same sense of humour and stuff like that. And um, still some similarities that we will never, you know, we're quite close, which is is good. Yeah. but, yeah, so... Yeah. It was the bit with your brother that made me cry. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Really? Yeah, genuine tears. But oh. but in a really, like, lovely kind of, oh, isn't this beautiful kind yeah, of way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, a lot, yeah. Of, a lot of people said, particularly about that bit, because... Um, that bit of the show is a, is a big release. Yeah, because it's also very funny. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's that that I love doing that bit, and I got to do it again last night, and it was so much fun. Yeah. So yeah. I don't want to give uh, give away any spoilers, but it is very good. Were you the only one crying, or have other other people cried? I don't know. I didn't look around. Oh. Enough. <laughs> Enough. You've been doing this show for a while. It was on at the comedy festival. Yep. Has it forced you to think about your own attitude to death? You know, have you written up your well, real I, life? I, I forget this. Like, uh, you know, I, I literally left the UK two days ago and I landed yesterday. Oh my god! Right? Yeah, Winslow family had a window. I'm like, Virgin doing cheap flights. I'm going. Right. Wow. So I went, saw some fam. Um, yeah, they love baths. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, went over there and Mike, you know, always get this like, oh, have a safe flight. You know, don't want it to be a real death of a dolphin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's gonna be funny until it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When the moment comes, they can just play the video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just yeah, made a recording. Like I'll just show them that. There you go. Just watch this on Vimeo or something. Uh, the show also features a very lifelike. Um, model of you yes that your mum made yeah yeah so every year my mum and I are very close you know we speak almost every day um you know especially with the stuff my dad you know we have a very cool relationship um but she is an amazing artist like that's how we when we moved to South Africa from South Africa uh her art is like she it was deemed by the John Howard government as being you know so good that we all got permanent residency visas (laughs) (laughs) I think we had a pretty good lawyer as yeah. well. Anyway, so, um, but, yeah, so she, like, last year we, I did, like, a jazz show and she made, like, sugar glass. She figured out how to do sugar glass, which is, like, glass that can break in the yeah. movies and the movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then this year, because I, I said, I said, Mom, hey, I'm thinking about doing a show about my funeral. And she was like, Stuart, no, man. <laughs> That's too close to home, man. Come on. <laughs> Stuart, No. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, all right. And then I went and I applied for the Moosehead anyway and I got it. And I was like, yeah, I think, well, we're going to have to do it now. She goes, oh, man, all right, what do, you want, what do you want me to do? So I go, I want you to make my death mask. Oh, my <laughs> she goes, oh no. Yeah, I want you to mould my face and you're going to use it and put it in a coffin on the side of the stage for my funeral. She goes, oh, all right, okay. You go to the shop in Richmond, okay, you get this mould. <laughs> So yeah, I got photos of it. She molded my face in this, um, like yeah, in this kind of putty, and then made the mold into like this plus of Paris, and then yeah, it's my face. It's oh. incredible. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. So my mom made my death mask. <laughs> and then at the end of the show, you can get a selfie with it. It's yeah, really? really cool. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the show sounds amazing. Death of a Doorman, it's on at the Courthouse Hotel in North Melbourne until the 23rd. What day is the 23rd? Sunday. Sunday. It's yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Oh. Excellent. We've been talking to the man behind it, comedian Stuart Dorman. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks so much, guys. This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio.
Yeah. That, that's what I felt it needed at the end it of that. It did need a year. Thanks for uh, stepping up to the plate. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so it is uh, Thursday. It's time for thir- High Tide Thursday. Oh, yeah. Talk about things that were going well uh, in our lives. Um, I might start, but his, mine's a little bit different in that um, I just had a really good dream. Oh, it's a twist of Thursday. Yeah. Mm, and then you woke up and it was all just a dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's right. You weren't in the dream, so it's no disappointment or excitement regarding you guys. Well, I'm not interested then. No, yeah, no. You, you will be. <laughs> no. So <clears throat> tell us about the dream. I mean, it's it's a Thursday because I'd um, recently been having a, a lot of bad dreams. Oh, oh that's no good. Yeah. Just really. Feel, is that. Do you feel it's rare? I feel like bad dreams, you know, I used to have them a lot when I was a kid, but as an adult, not so much. I have bad dreams quite often. Do you mm. have them? I'm well, in the last couple of weeks, I've had yeah. some pretty horrific ones. I dream, um, I'm an intense dreamer, though. Yeah. Oh, we t- talked about this the other day. I started doing that yeah. um, lucid dreaming. Really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's how intense dreaming she is again. Yeah. Right, so, well, and it was. Next um, level. Yeah. Uh, but it was. I don't know why I was having these particularly bad dreams. I was trying to think, have I eaten a lot of cheese? Were you anxious or... about anything? Yeah, you did tell me about a weird one the other day. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes was... when you're stressed or there's something yeah. in your life that's bothering you, I find it comes out via bad dreams, even yeah. though you can't connect the themes. Maybe. Because I was, I mean, I was dreaming about politicians doing oh. bad things. Well, there you <laughs> go. That was just reality. And Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, anyway, so, but last night, so... Tomorrow I'm flying to – I'm doing a lot of flying over the weekend, one of my favourite things to do. What a star. Mm. So I'm flying to Dubbo and then uh, – I've got a gig in Dubbo tomorrow night and then in Hobart on Saturday night. So just flying flying around the country. It's a dream, right? But last night um, I had a dream. But I'm flying not with my preferred airline. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. No problem. Just don't rack sure. up any points. Yeah. Just waste of flights. You're not at all, yeah, not at all upset about that. <laughs> no, I'm fine. <laughs> so, but that's okay. Uh, and so last night I had a dream that I was on the flight uh, and I was there with like a, I had a comedy manager that was so good uh, and I was sitting next to them on the flight and re- there was a delay and I had a really kind of LA-type, sassy-type manager that was like, you want this, you want that, I'll, you know, stay there, I'll look after this, I'll look after everything for oh. you. And then they were, like, uh, talking to the um, cabin crew and, and then went, this flight's been delayed, this is taking too long, we need to get on a different flight. Get us oh. on a flight with this airline. And then so they organised a ticket for me and then I looked at the ticket I'm like, I was flying to Hobart via Japan Oh, I was like, no. No, it was like, yes. Oh, was it? <laughs> I went, it wasn't stressful? So really, no, this, not at all. this was the dream all just about getting points. <laughs> no, 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 it was about... Visiting Japan. But, you know, the, the, the flying, because I just went, yes, I love flying. I get to go all the way to Japan that and is, back again. I feel like that's a and good um, example of your positive outlook generally on life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you reckon? And and my seat said 1A and then I was oh. like, does that mean I'm in business class or first class? And then I went, I don't get too excited. I mean, you're gonna, it's going to be a great, great flight anyway. You'll be up the front but maybe. And then there was this added sizzle of maybe I get to fly business class. And did you find out? 
No, I woke up. Oh. Well, so I felt really good. I love that the best thing in your week has been a dream. (laughs) (laughs) There's no other highlights. Yeah, well, no. There is, but um, that was the most one prominent in my Did I tell you that yesterday while we were on the air, um, Dono from Monday Mm. was messaging me on Facebook. Dono from Monday. (laughs) Well, you know, in case people listening don't know who Dono is, you know, from the sports segment, was messaging me showing me pictures that he'd taken from the plane that he was on because he was doing what I was doing, sitting in the front seat and taking photos. Oh, cool. Taking photos of the pilots, making sure they were doing the right thing. Ooh, is he afraid of flying? No, I don't as think well? so. I think maybe he was just trolling me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd do that. I'm going to do that. That That's is very awesome. funny. Jeff, what's uh, been my, your high time? My, uh, uh, I booked tickets to for our holiday in January. Ooh, ooh. We're going to Tasmania and we're going on the ferry. Oh. Did I tell you about this? I can't remember whether I did or not. Yeah, I think I think just taking the car on the ferry and doing the drive around Tasmania. Oh, oh that's yeah, the best. you had you had given us the vibe that was mm. going to happen. Yeah, but it's actually all sorted. Um, how long organized? are you going to go for? Oh, it's like eleven days, something like that. For oh, how lovely! Oh. Yeah, I'm going to go. Are you going to go to Mona? Mona? Oh no, um, Mofo. Foma, no, Foma, I don't Mofo think so. Park. It's more going to be like um, so many national parks mm. in Tasmania, and it's so small too. You can basically just drive around the whole yeah. island. In um in a day, but I'm quite looking forward to that. The fact, well, you know, you had dreams about flying a whole holiday. I don't have to fly at all. Oh yeah, you know, what's scared yeah. of a ship sinking. I did find myself looking some YouTube clips of when that boat <laughs> hit some rough water, which did seem to don't be, look at that. <laughs> did seem to be quite intense. But I mean, you know, how are you with seasickness? No, I'm, I'm okay with seasickness. On the mm. sea, I feel like if the boat sinks, you can still float for a while. Yeah, I I always feel safer over the sea. Yeah, mm. but um. You so get sucked down with a boat, but yeah. <laughs> not going to get sucked down with it. <laughs> Haven't you seen Titanic? It's got to get a plank and float on it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. It's not for far. You just float into Tasmania. Um, and it's good. You, you have to say whether you're going to get a cabin or a double cabin or then it goes right down to um, you just get like a recliner. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's what we've got recliners. Oh, that's such a what? mistake. My really? friend just went what recently. Have you done? Yeah, why would you get recliners? <laughs> it's terrible. You have to sleep on it. You will no, not be able to sleep on the recliner. It's not overnight. It's just during the day. But how long? It's like I don't know, twelve hours or so. Oh, oh well, <laughs> you'll live and you learn. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. This is my Thursday. Don't ruin it for me. Well, I think you've just done that. You said. <laughs> I don't have a high... No, good, I'm sure it would be lovely. One. Where's your <laughs> You're recliner? talking about that. Yeah. <laughs> 12 hours. Yeah, no. Get up and have a walk around. You'll love yeah, it. Yeah, might see a whale or something. Uh, I don't have a Thursday. Oh, I didn't talk about this on air. On Sunday, I went to a study session that's run by these people. I've forgotten the name of them. I think they're called, I've forgotten, Extraordinary Routines. They hold these things every two weeks where you can go. I just found out about them. Where you go to a um, share space, like a share, like a working share space, and you bring work that you need to do. you bring your work, yeah. Usually creative stuff. No, I talked to you about it off air. Yeah, like usually bring creative stuff that you need to write about and or or you might be a designer or whatever and you go to this office space and they tie so they make you work. So you, you oh. start at like nine so I went on Sunday and you start at like ten fifteen and they ring a little bell and you sit down and you work you do forty five minutes really intensive work in this nice space with other people who are focused on working. And they ring the bell after forty five minutes and then you get up and you have a few snacks and they have snacks and you have a coffee, you have a chat, and then they ring the bell again and you go and you work and you do this really intensive work for three hours. But it is it changed you get my life. So much done. It, like it was so good. I need someone in my life to 
stand there with a bell and mm. trying to yeah. time the amount of time that I should be working because you don't want to waste the time that you're there. You've got that's, it's free. Um, it's not you don't pay for it. That's that pomodo, isn't it? That, no. You know that that technique. That oh yeah, maybe I don't pomodo, know. I think you tell oh, me about that. Yeah, it's know. the same sort of thing. The idea is supposed to be that you can't. It's no good trying to concentrate for a really long period of time. So you've got to do like time breaks yeah, intervals. and intervals. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, you set a timer. You can get little apps and stuff so you can do it at home. Yeah, There's well, one the, the difference was I don't think an app would work for me. This like, is, the you're in front of other people. Yeah, like I went to a room, everyone was working, you know, and the way it's set up, it's so nice. And the idea that you go, oh, in 45 minutes I can have a biscuit and a tea. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is kind of – and the motivation was looking around and seeing other people working and going, like okay. Like being in school. Yeah. So you weren't tempted to distract them. some of the other people? They're called side project sessions, just so you know. It's called peer pressured productivity <laughs> for the thing you're putting off. But it, and it's run by um, extraordinary oh my routines. God. Sorry, I just looked at the text message. Yeah, these, I saw that before. All these messages <laughs> coming through saying, don't get the recliner. Ah, <laughs> yeah, suck on that. Sorry, mine's a really boring high tide. No, it it's about dis- It's about discovering how to work. Like, that. I could, you know, it's just I procrastinate so much at home. You would appreciate that, both of you, when you yes, have to do work at home. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you think you're going to keep doing it? They only do it every fortnight or whatever, so it's not, yeah. you know, I couldn't get all my work done in it. But it's, maybe it's changed the way I think about working. Yeah, no, you've got, the best thing that's happened to you, you got some work done, I had a dream and Jeff stuffed up. <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3 Triple R. Time for Feature Creatures here on Breakfast is the X-rated version featuring Birdman. How are you going, Birdman? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very well, everybody, yes. <laughs> Listeners, yes. It, was, it wasn't X-rated, the underpants it were... It was X-rated. Well, they were half on in this story. <laughs> but you <laughs> copped an eyeful. That was a... Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get... Talk about birds. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Thank God for birds. <laughs> always, always get you out of a situation. But I thought... This time of year, given what's happening tomorrow night, the only possible bird I could talk about is the magpie. magpie. And I have to, uh, you know, just full disclosure, I am a massive Collingwood fan. Are you? um, Didn't you know this of you? Get out! (laughs) (laughs) Makes so much sense. Yes, finally, the, the, uh, you know, the lack of teeth. Did you choose them because of your love of birds? Or did the love of magpies come before the love of birds? the, The... it's funny. It's shameful for me uh, as the bird man. It is that being my, a magpie fan. The, the the choice that I, the reason I became a magpie fan. I originally was a Richmond fan. My dad oh, no. was mad mad Richmond, and I had Get a little out. little number four Royce Hart jumper when <gasps> I was a kid. And when I was four, I switched and. And my father never forgave me. It was the first time I heard him swear at me, <gasps> and uh, and and it was because. But the shameful thing, it was because I had a misidentification of of not just a bird, an animal. Sitting in the driveway when I was four on my little bike, I think it was a little bike, and a kid came around door-to-door selling footy club stickers in that sort of 70s kind of motif. And and I went in and said, Dad, can I have 20 cents for for a Tiger sticker? And so I got the Tiger sticker, stuck it on my bike, and I remember sitting looking down on my bike, and it was a sort of abstract cartoon head of a tiger, and I just couldn't see it, and I just thought, it looks like a magpie. (gasps) And in my four-year-old brain, it was, 
oh, God, I've got a magpie sticker on my bike. I'm going to have to barrack for the magpies. And wow. So, that is so, that is the weirdest. It is. And so I walked, walked wow. back in and I said to my dad, who was sitting there watching World of Sport with a, a stubby at 10 in the morning, <laughs> feet up on the on the coffee table, I said, Dad, I don't barrack for the tigers anymore. I barrack for the magpies. And he's just spurted out the stubby. And he's, he's going, He's going, what? And I said, oh. You're no son of mine. Yeah, and he said, why? And so I, I said, oh, because i got this sticker on my bike and it's a magpie, not a tiger. And he grabbed me by, by the arm. <laughs> he's wrenched me out and he's going, look, it's a tiger. There's a tiger. There's its mouth. It's a bloody tiger. And I was like, no, and I think it's a magpie because, like, isn't that a beak and not its... It's is its this, ear, you idiot. Is this because you were already obsessed with birds? <laughs> oh, and so possibly, you saw yeah. everything as birds? Possibly. What a classic! It's a classic <laughs> ink blob test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. Oh, oh my god! That's, that's a sad story. And that, yeah, and of course, that was just before Richmond went back-to-back premiers in the early seventies. So I had years of pain. But I can't I think believe your dad couldn't me. convince you to come Could back. Not convince or me. Indeed, was... couldn't spring to buy you a different sticker. Yeah, <laughs> that was. Ah. So that was it. So yeah, I, I know what it. I know what true suffering is. Uh, <laughs> I, ch- I embraced true suffering by becoming a Magpie fan in the 70s when we lost about 18 grand finals. Nah, I think you missed the 33 years of true suffering that, ha- that happened for the Tigers <laughs> after that. So, uh, But Magpies, swooping but season. It is swooping season and I'm just here to say that... Uh, Hashtag not all magpies. That's, and and it, it is a bit like the um, the needles in the in the strawberry thing that you get a, a few and it's escalated by the media and and these websites which are really useful to have sort of the magpie swoop zone so you know where you can avoid magpies. So you're um, saying there's some bad magpies yeah, and they're, they're tarnishing is. the reputation of the good magpies. Definitely, definitely. Have you been swooped? I have, and <gasps> I, I find it a personal affront. In fact, I was up <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, went up to do some tree planting on a conservation block that I own, doing good for the environment, yes. mm. and was setting it up for everybody, and the bloody magpie... Uh, I was there the week before, and the female was on the nest, and I realised just where we dug all the holes for the trees was right below oh. the nesting tree. And the female was on the nest on the eggs and the male bird, it's only the males that swoop of the magpies, the females never swoop. The males only swoop when the eggs have hatched and so I'm thinking just eggs don't hatch in the next week. Sure enough, seven days later we got back up there. I went out to the site to prepare it for all these visitors coming and the bloody thing swooped me and I was like, don't you know who I am? (laughs) Don't you have some special call or something you can do to keep... Well, yeah, I I was was hoping I would have, because I'd been there quite a bit and hadn't been a... presumably hadn't been a threat because that's why the magpies swoop. Of the males that swoop, only... The studies show only about 10% actually swoop of the males. So it's 10% mm. of 50% of the population swoop. And they, and interestingly, the magpies only swoop either individual people or individual types. There's very, occasionally you do get a completely psycho magpie that just swoops everybody. But usually a magpie will only swoop cyclists or they'll only swoop pedestrians or they'll only swoop dog walkers. And you've told us before that they remember faces. My mm. friend... Swears that she gets targeted by magpies. Could there be something about her face that they're <laughs> latching onto? She's got a swoopable face, yes. yeah, or hair colour, or something uh, like no, that. No, definitely. The 
Research has shown that the magpie, uh, that individual magpies can recognise up to around about 100 individual human faces and beyond 100 apparently they seem to struggle and I can't remember exactly how they work that out but they, that's pretty solid scientific evidence. The trouble is, so if a magpie is swooping you and you think it's personal, it could well be. <laughs> they've, they've just, you've done something mean to it. Yeah, you've, they've decided whether you're you have or haven't, <laughs> you're they've decided eyes. you're a threat. <laughs> and sometimes the threat can just be and you don't know you're doing it, that if you stop near the nest tree and look up towards where yeah. the nest is, they think, hang on, that, that human's looking Snooker at my down. chicks, that, that, wants, that wants to get me, get me and my baby. So, so you, you might not know what you've done, but they just they take a set against you forever and they've got really long memories. And they, they put you on is, their list. Exactly. Is it a good idea to kind of make eye contact with a magpie and kind of give it a nod and go... Hello, nice to see you. I'm sending some so. positive vibes. That's, that's what I do because mm. you told yeah. me we should do that. I, yeah. Well, I, I'm sort of on board with that and it's something that you need to do outside of the breeding season throughout the year so that they get, get to know you and know that you're not a threat. And the research shows the absolute only way to avoid being swooped is if you feed a magpie. If you feed that male magpie, they know that you're a friend and mm-hmm. apparently I don't think that at least the, the researchers have, haven't found one instance of a, a male magpie swooping someone that feeds that bird, particular oh. bird. Um, so that works for your local magpies, mm-hmm. but you can't really, if you're sort of walking down the street or playing golf or something and uh, you can't really travel along with a with a little plastic bag full of chicken True. bits or something. Right. They that say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Yes, oh, definitely. And that's, that's the way with, with magpies. Is it is it true that if you look at them, though, they won't? They also won't attack you? Because so, I've seen cyclists with kind of mm. fake faces on the back of their yeah. helmets. The, the research is sort of... Um, the, the, the judgment's out on that. It, mm. it's, it it's works for some, but it doesn't work for all. And the as much as that the reason why you need to look at them is they do tend to swoop from behind, but some particularly aggro ones will swoop from the front and that's when they can do some serious damage. Like people have lost eyes and things to, to magpie attacks. So, but the thing, the, the advantage of looking at a magpie is that they do tend to swoop from behind. So they're less likely to go you from the front. But I'm saying, I, I'm not saying that's going to... Mm. Um, be a fail-safe thing, but also it means you know where it is and yeah. you can see when it starts to, to swoop towards you. So, When you do get swooped, is there any sort of, you know, because they do remember you, so mm. should you kind of not make a big deal of it? Do you know what if I mean? You can, like, yeah. yeah. The, the best thing to do is they only swoop within a certain radius of the nest and usually that's around about 100 metres either side of the nest can be a bit further sometimes and sometimes you just get nut job magpies that just, you know, <laughs> they're sort of brutal <laughs> and, uh, and they, they keep chasing you. But um, so, so if you can just quickly and quietly without too much fuss move out of that zone, though they don't follow you beyond that zone. But th- it, it probably is the best the best thing you can do is not to overreact. And I know it's really freaky when you've got one coming down. Mm. It's probably an Australian rite of passage growing up Mm. being swooped by a magpie. But, like, even even for the bird man, it kind of freaks me out when you've got that (laughs) that rush of wind and and they sort of just tap you on the head. But 
by going nuts and, and sort of responding aggressively to it, you're only entrenching it. You're, you're, you're basically imprinting in that bird that, that you are a problem. And, oh. and the worst thing, absolute worst thing you can do, it, it, you can carry a stick to hold above your head and it's less likely to swoop below the stick. But if you wave the stick at the magpie and especially if you throw sticks or rocks or anything or even yell at the magpie, that's just reinforcing it's feeling that you're a threat. Oh. So clearly the best thing is to just try and keep your eye on it, just move away slowly. And I think it works on two levels. One, you're not posing a threat, but also I think it's it's got that sense that its its attack isn't really being effective on you. You know, that, that's speculation on my part, that it, if you're not freaking out, it's it's kind of... It hasn't had the victory as such. You've mm. just moved quietly away, so... But remember, before, before we let you go, have you ever been um, swooped by a pitch pie? <laughs> <laughs> Do pitch pies exist? I, I keep hearing of them. <laughs> what, what's your tip for the magpie game tomorrow? Uh, it's... Uh, remember, I have all those finals losses of the 70s just embedded in my DNA. So <laughs> I'm... And, and the really, the, the tragic thing, I think Richmond, essentially this season, this final series is about everybody competing to see who loses to Richmond in the grand final. However, stupidly, I just have this burning flame of hope that, I, that somehow I feel Collingwood are going to do, do this. Ooh, and why did you ask that, Sarah? I know it's <laughs> rationally, no, rationally ridiculous. I don't think it is. It's ludicrous. I don't think it's ludicrous. But I'll be tipping the pies. You've nearly beaten us twice this year. Ah, uh, you were just toying with us. Oh, <laughs> Birdman, see you later. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Thanks, Annalisa. Yes, that's right. Is this still time to subscribe here to Triple R? You're listening to Breakfasters with Jeff Geraldine and Sam filling in for Sarah Smith. Unwell, what makes a disease? A disease is a new book out through UQP. Its author is the science writer Mike McRae. He's joining us now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. This is a book that asks us to rethink a bunch of really fundamental concepts about health and related topics, but it's also a book in which you talk about your own life, career and medical issues. So let me ask you, what inspired you to write a book examining the nature of illness? I think it goes way back. Uh, I used to work in pathology many, many years ago. And when I worked in a, a hospital laboratory downstairs, you'd get your blood samples, you'd get your urines, name a bodily fluid. I've touched it, I've played with it. <laughs> and I've conducted tests on it. I hope you washed your hands before you came in. 90% of the time. So those results go back up to the doctor and they'd make a, a decision one way or another. Do you have a disease or do you not? Do you have some form of illness, condition, syndrome, whatever? Um, but then at some point I started actually working with the patients themselves. So they took away the person who was doing the bleeding for me and I had to do it. I wouldn't do this these days, I don't think. So I was kind of fortunate in a way, but I had to interact with the patients. So you have people who come in and you get to see their story. You know, you get people who are scared, their life has changed in some way, and you take their blood, you go down and run a test, and suddenly those numbers look very different. You know, they look like a story rather than a diagnosis. That's not a hard line, it's now a question. And I think then it really started to, uh, you know, that age-old question, what defines a disease? I mean, there had been times before that I think I'd questioned it, but that was the moment I really started asking. So from there, I started to investigate a bit deeper. I did a master's degree a number of years ago in the culture of health and medicine, and it really opened my eyes to just how fuzzy that line is when you know something so hard that we think is defined 
uh, in medical terms, actually has a very strong cultural influence. Well, let's get into the nitty-gritty of some of that. You make the point that the distinction between a disease and a disorder usually involves some attribution of culpability. Explain what you mean. Well, that's it. So, you know, I, I tend to lump all of these words like disease, disorder, you know, into one category. I mean, there's subtle differences between them, but if we think about you have a thing that makes you sick and it's categorical, um, that's what I call a disease in this sense. Um, there's really three things that make a thing a disease. First of all, you have to be different in some way. Now, we're all different. You know, I've got a beard and you people don't have beards and, well, no one's going to look at my beard and think, Mike, you got a disease. So that variation... I should hope not. <laughs> well, it, it's getting pretty big, really. It, it gets in the way sometimes. But it, it doesn't actually, you know, give me a disease. So then there's a second thing is, does that difference interfere with some sort of social expectation or responsibility. So we're all expected to live up to certain standards. Um, you know, we all meet expectations. We don't sit in a bus and talk to ourselves. That's a bit weird. Um, you know, women are supposed to have babies. Men are supposed to have you know, a certain strength or a certain uh, attributes that make you masculine. And when you don't live up to those expectations, you know, if you're suffering in some way, you have a certain level of pain. Uh, your senses don't work in that way. Then we start asking, well, is that difference a disease? But there's a third aspect to it. And that is, are you to blame? Because if you did something, if your mind made a choice that robbed you of that responsibility, well, it's your fault you don't have a disease. So, for instance, you might have a hangover the next morning and, and go in. That's going to stop you from working. It's a difference stopping you from meeting an expectation. But no one thinks, well, you've got a disease because, well, you made a choice to do a thing, therefore that culpability is there that's robbing you of that, that whole disease thing. But imagine that you've got food poisoning. We treat those two things very differently. And that extends out to a whole bunch of things that make us respond differently to if you have a disease or not. Uh, you talk about the ontological model of sickness and you say that the language associated with cancer is a perfect example of this. Could you tease that out for us? Right, so there's, there's kind of two ways you look at disease. There's an ontological model and a physiological model. An ontological model um, kind of means a thing happened to you. You got a thing. And think about how we talk, you know, you get cancer. The physiological model is, it's a bit more historical. So it's kind of your body has changed in a way in a response to a thing. Something's happened, but it's your body that is actually broken in some way. That's physiological. So it's a very subtle difference between the two. But historically, we've sort of looked at disease as something where the body is corrupted, whereas today we start to look at it as, well, it's a thing you get. And that's a legacy of the germ model of disease. So if you go back to the 19th century, we started to work out that you could catch all these different conditions, all these diseases, and as a result of all of that, um, yeah, as a result of, of you know, these disease sort of bacteria and stuff like that, we started to see disease as a thing that you could get. Um, cancer, though, is a perfect example of something that is a thing where your body changes in some way. Um, but we still talk about it as if you can catch it. So, you know, those two models kind of define how we respond to disease. Talk to us about um, diseases that aren't around anymore. For example, nostalgia. Yes. Oh, there's some classic ones. So, you know, things like nostalgia and hysteria is another classic example. That we don't really have them. So, you know, nostalgia, we tend to think of today as homesickness. You're missing mum's good old, you know, lamb roast and yeah. gravy. <laughs> But it used to be able to, well, we thought it used to be able to kill you. So we used to think it was a serious illness that if you actually got, um, 
that it could, you know, corrupt your organs. It would actually lead to death in, in many ways. And what were the social and political contexts surrounding that diagnosis? Well, that, that's the interesting part. So a lot of the time people were far from home because of, like, you know, war. You know, if you're a soldier going... And what they saw is a lot of people were missing home so much and then falling ill, um, probably from a whole range of different things, you know, not least just missing home. And what we try to do is we, we take these symptoms and we say, well, what's causing it? And one of the causes that they attribute to this was, um, you know, homesickness was being so far away from home. Mm. So nostalgia was one of those sort of things where, you know, it, it used to have serious consequences, serious ramifications, and then it, it fell out of favour. So we've got these conditions throughout history where we say people feel unwell in some way. How do we then actually link that in with a cause, with an explanation? It makes you kind of wonder what diseases exist now that won't exist in the future. Do you have any thoughts about stuff that we diagnose as diseases now that probably won't be? Well, that's a big question. Isn't it? We look back through history and we think of things like nostalgia, neurasthenia, hysteria, all these things that we just don't diagnose anymore. We go, well, were they mistakes? And is it a mistake we're going to keep making it well into the future? I think where disease is going, though, is going to be less categorical. So we're now finding more details, more data, and we're understanding conditions are very personal. So cancer is a good example. You know, we, we categorise cancer anatomically. We say you've got lung cancer, you've got breast cancer. And we're now starting to understand that that really isn't a good way of capturing a lot of cancers because depending where you find it in the body, the genes that are involved, the prognosis based on that particular genetic lineage that you've got for that cancer can be very particular to you. And so we're starting to do things like looking at the genes for a particular cancer. One, uh, one way we're diagnosing cancer these days is to take your cancer cancer out, grow it up in, in this little tiny uh, organelle, you know, this little little lump of meat basically that we look at and then we can treat that with various forms of treatment. Um, but it's your particular cancer that we are then finding the right regime of chemicals to treat with. And so we're stopping this whole idea of like this big category thing and starting to look at medicine very personally. Mm -hmm. um, obesity is a good example. We're questioning that right now. Is that a disease or is it not? And we're starting to understand that it's this broad spectrum that's very personal to individuals, which means we need to understand people as individuals. Um, we need more data. We need more understanding of this. But we also need to ask people questions as well and sitting and having a lifelong conversation to see where particular personal suffering is heading. So it's that whole longitudinal sort of understanding of disease that we're heading towards rather than this put you into a box and here's the right answer for it. Just following on from that, one of the examples that you give is the way that our, our notion of the ideal and healthy body has changed over the time. And I was struck by your story about the early drawings of Superman. Yeah. Where you say if people looked at them now, they'd sort of say, well, Superman's a bit... <laughs> Bit, bit out of condition. Yeah, well, that's it. It's a bit chunky, the old <laughs> Superman. And that's because the old strongman sort of image in the early 20th century, you know, late 19th century was, was they were big strong. You look at strongman competitions today and they are not well-defined Wolverine type, you know, Hugh Jackman bods. These are, you know, big chunky guys with, you know, large muscles covered in a nice little layer of fat and they look big, but they don't look defined. And then that started to change with the um, with bodybuilding. So bodybuilding was, we need to see your muscles. And they then came to represent the ideals of strength. And so it's this idea that we've got in our head, um, what does health look like? And that's changed throughout time. So today we look at somebody who is uh, tanned, for instance, and go, well, you work outside a lot, you must be healthy. Uh, but that's only been around for about you know, nearly a century. So before that, 
if you were pale, well, then you were well looked after because you stayed indoors all the time. You weren't one of these workers who were dropping dead outside all the time. So our impression of what represents health is a thing that's shifting. Today we look at obesity and we think someone who's like got a few kilos on them must be unhealthy, which isn't actually backed up by the science. There is correlations there and, of course, trying to keep fit and healthy is a good thing. But we automatically look at someone who might look a little curvier than somebody else and go, well, automatically you must have a disease, you must be sick or unwell in some way, you, you will you know, suffer for that. And, and that's just not the case at all. The book is, in, is titled Unwell, What Makes a Disease a Disease? It's out through University of Queensland Press. We've been talking to its author, science writer, Mike McRae. Thanks so much for joining us breakfast. Thanks for having me on, guys. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.